Hello, Gap Year Universe. I'm Julia Rogers. And I'm Margot Brookfield. Welcome to Gap Year Radio, the show that brings you information and inspiration to plan a life-changing Gap Year adventure. Here with us for our first ever Gap Year Radio episode is Lily Slaughter, an impressive Gap Year student who spent almost her entire year teaching in Bali, Indonesia. You'll hear why she chose Bali, how she navigated a natural disaster on her gap time, and how a year of travel completely changed the course of study she now wants to pursue at college. Sounds like she did some amazing things with her gap year. Can't wait to hear her stories. Let's get started. Welcome, Lily. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Julia, for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to record your gap year experience because I found it really interesting and I'm sure that people who are thinking about taking a gap year or have taken a gap year will also find your story really interesting. I I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start from the very beginning. It's senior year of high school and you're thinking about taking a gap year. What were some of the things going through your head as you were deciding whether you wanted to take a gap year and what you wanted to do? So my story actually starts junior year of high school when I was looking for volunteer abroad programs. I was looking just to do something different outside of Stowe, and like every teenager, I wanted to travel, so I started looking at those abroad programs that were a month or two in the summer, even just a couple weeks, and I got really excited, and I started doing all the research and figuring out how I was going to pay for it, and then my mom was like, you know, that's only three weeks. Like, why don't you look into doing something that's longer? And, and considering doing a full year of it after high school and going to college after. And at first I was like, no. <laughs> but um, pretty quickly I was like, oh yeah, that actually sounds pretty cool. So I started looking into gap year programs probably nearing the end of my junior year and then over the summer of that time. Then senior year came and I wanted to make sure I got into school and could do all of that with the help of my teachers and being surrounded by people who were doing it. So I started by applying to schools and making sure that all the schools I applied to were deferrable Mm -hmm. so that I could just defer everything if I wanted to. And then after I finished all my applications, I was like, okay, this is time for me. I had like this relaxed period where none of my classes were crazy and I could just kind of go. And uh, I would sit in my room at night and I'd be like, oh, where could I go? Where could I travel? (laughs) What could I do? And I started finding these big programs in Southeast Asia and Africa and all these places. And it's like, okay, this is actually something that I'd love to do and decided that I was going to gap year it. And it was a little scary because a lot of my friends were like, what are you doing? And a lot of people were a little more like, and you're still going to school? And I was like, well, yes. So then I got into school and I deferred my admission and then I started going and I was like, okay, let's start actually planning this. And, and Yeah, and I remember, so your mom, uh, for those who don't know, owns a really great store in Stowe that I frequent. And so <laughs> I, I remember during your planning process, whenever I would pop in the store, I would ask how the planning was going yeah. and, and we'd have like little chats. And so I feel like I followed you a little bit along your planning yeah. journey. But um, how did you end up finding the program that you ended up traveling with? So I actually credit it to you because I was looking at all of the big programs like IVHQ and mm-hmm. the big ones. Um, and then you came into Banya, my mom's store one day, and you were like, oh, you should look into like picking a place and finding a small one in that place because it's just better. Like all the money will go directly to the town or the kids or whatever it is. And 
not through like a giant company. So I started thinking of like where I would want to go. And I started with Thailand because that was kind of what I liked. And then my mom was like, have you ever been to Bali? And I was like, well, no, but should I? And she was like, yeah, I went and I think you'd love it. And so I literally Googled volunteering in Bali and the program I went with was called Volunteer in Bali. (laughs) So it's like the first thing that popped up and I started reading about it and it was just, you know, all of the money went directly to the kids and the staff and like none of it was going through some giant company where they were going to take a bunch of it. And, And I realized this because the price went from like IVHQ, which was $1,300 for three weeks to like you know, a hundred dollars a week. Hmm. So I immediately knew like, okay, there's all that other money is not going right. into, into the kids from IBHQ. So mm-hmm. that was kind of where I went with that. And I was excited to go to Thailand also. So my plan was to do half and half. I was going to backpack for a little bit and volunteer for a little bit. And it was going to be like a four or five month journey and then come home and work. But, uh, my plans changed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely, yeah, we'll get to that. I think in a second. And so when you arrived, cause you, you left for Bali in September, October, September. September. Yeah. So what were your first couple of weeks? Like what was that first, especially that first week is always super intense when you're getting your feet underneath you yeah. and things like that. I remember the day I left here. <laughs> um, I went into a store and I was with my mom and I was buying like last minute things. And I was just a wreck because it was the first time I was leaving home and I was super nervous and just it was weird to leave everyone. And I have a six-year-old sister who was like, don't go. And that was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember seeing one of my mom's friends and she was like, are you okay? You look kind of like, like stressed. And I just like broke down crying in her arms. I was like, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. (laughs) Um, But then when I got there and I was like, the second I stepped onto the plane, I was like, okay, this is definitely the right move. And I got there and it just was so freeing and different. And I remember like first getting there and we had a couple nights before we actually got to the school where we were teaching. And I had my own little room in this homestay and I would go out to eat and it was the first time I had like gone out to eat by myself and so I just like sat in this little cafe with my Harry Potter book and (laughs) like ate lunch by myself which was something I hadn't done and it was just so relaxing which was not what I was expecting. I was expecting a little awkwardness, a little weird quietness but I just felt like totally at peace and then when I got to the actual school and I saw all the kids I was terrified (laughs) Um, because they told me I would be teaching the older kids which I wasn't expecting and I uh I was teaching 18 year olds and I was 18 so (laughs) I went the first day and I told our our like leader and I was like I don't know if I could do this and he was just like try one day and uh see how it goes and I stepped into the class and the kids were so accepting and happy and it didn't even matter that like, we were close in age or whatever it was. Um, they were just so great, and I immediately loved it. And Yeah. Yeah. There and were days when I missed home, but... Of course, yeah. But that sounds like a pretty smooth transition, all things yeah. considered. That's great. so. And the way that Volunteer in Bali works, because it's, edu- it's primarily an education program, mm-hmm. and you get kind of get to choose your track within that, that mm-hmm. kind of scope. So yeah. they had a couple different sites. So what made you, you were, you were by the ocean, right? Yep. So, I was by the ocean. And there was another site that's in the mountains, right? Yeah. There's, so there's two by the ocean, one in the mountains, 
and then two in Ubud, and that's like like a little art town, mm-hmm. and it's got um, a special needs program there too. So mm-hmm. most of them are based around education, and it's it's all English. But the thing is, there's like it's your choice to choose how and what you teach the kids. Right. Like there's a layout of what the volunteers before you did, but it's something that you get to be like, oh, okay, so I see that they just learned about adjectives. Maybe we could write a story with adjectives or like you realize just talking to them that they don't know how to use the right form of a word. You can start practicing how to do that, and mm. which was really cool and also really scary. Right. Yeah. How did you go but, about figuring out how to plan your lessons? Uh, I mean, obviously looking at what people had it, done before, yeah, trial so and error, I'm a guessing. Lot, a lot of uh, looking at what I had done, before, uh, what other volunteers were doing. Um, talking to the volunteers that have been there for a while, that helped a lot. Pinterest. <laughs> yeah, Pinterest like, is a great, yeah. I, I have um, family who are in education and they use Pinterest yeah. all the time. So yeah. that's a really good tip. Too. When I started, I was like, what do I do? And I met this volunteer from Utah and she had been there for about a month and she was like, Pinterest is the thing that has saved me. Just look at it. And I would, you know, be like, okay, we want to study nouns today. And I just search on Pinterest, like teaching English or ESL uh, nouns and things would pop up and I'd be like oh this is actually pretty cool and and then I ended up using those for a long time like games that Pinterest would teach me and then when new volunteers came in and they were like me like what do I do I'd be like try this game yeah. I found it on Pinterest <laughs> <laughs> um, that's great I love that yeah so um how you said that a lot of the kids were super receptive to your presence and seemed like they they liked having the volunteer teachers there in general how did you in- make sure to engage all of the students? Did you have any any students in particular that were that were tough that you had to kind of work extra hard to pull in? Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember on my first week everything was very peaceful, and then on my second week this kid came into my class and he was he's probably twelve years old, and he's really cute because he's really tiny, <laughs> and I honestly thought he was like not in my class because he was so tiny and it turns out he was in my class and he's just a troublemaker like didn't want to listen he always said no I don't like I don't like and I was like oh come on like what do I do and so like I I admittedly will say that my teaching skills were not the best for the first four months I was there um and so I was just like okay if he's not gonna listen he's not gonna listen and then I remember like four months in it was right after Christmas I was like, how can I, I was kind of doing that like New Year's resolution thing. I was like, what do I want my kids, like, what do I want them to come out with by the time I leave? What do I want them to know? And I was like, well, I want Rye to like understand things and start listening more. And so I sat down with him and I said, Rye, why do you not want to listen? And like, why do you not like it? And he was just like, I don't understand. And I was like, oh my God, like explosions in my mind. Why did I not ask this earlier? (laughs) And so I started sitting down with him closer and like working directly one-on-one with him. So I'd assign the class to write a paragraph or whatever it was. And then they'd all do it in partners and I would partner with him and then obviously check around with the rest of the kids. But being able to just work with him individually helped a lot. And all of a sudden it was like a 360 degree turn or... 180 degree turn (laughs) um and he was like a totally different kid when I started working individually and teaching him the things and and at this point I had learned some Indonesian so it was easier for me to translate it to him Mm. because I didn't have a translator in my class so I I could translate some of the things um and at that point he started just like cranking things out and would be the first one done and I was like well that's crazy (laughs) um but then like I mean other than that not just teaching wise I think it was 
really cool what a lot of the volunteers didn't do that I think it helps you get a lot more out of it was just me like spending time with all of the kids not just the kids in your class like there were probably 200 kids at our school and I had 30 of them in my classes right so I would obviously see those guys every day and then after class I'd go hang out and play soccer with the boys in the other classes or go brush the hair of little girls and braid (laughs) them (laughs) or they would do my hair probably more um and meeting their families and things like that which I think is just so much more important because you learn a lot more about the culture and that's how I made most of my relationships was going to my kid's house after school and their mom would make me really spicy food (laughs) and we would uh get to you know hang out with their baby babies and go to the ceremonies and things like that which I think was really cool and that that definitely made me more connected to all of the kids which made me want to do more for not just my class but for everyone that's that's such a special thing to be able to feel like you're part of the community and to spend enough time there that you start to create those those relationships that are deeper than just those you know a couple week programs that you can do during the summer yeah so that's really cool what are some of the I know that Balinese culture is big on ceremonies. So what are what are some of the what are some of the ceremonies that you were able to attend? Um so the Balinese ceremonies, I was talking to a woman one day and like the best way to describe it, she was like, Well, as soon as you have a baby, like you have to get like like your whole life goes down the drain because there's just so many ceremonies. And I was like, Oh, really? They, I mean, they have a ceremony for like your first day, your first twelve hours, and then your first week and then the biggest is, like, the first three-month ceremony and the baby touches the ground for the first time. And, like, oh, wow. before that, the baby basically just gets passed back and forth between sisters and brothers and cousins and grandma and aunts and strangers. Mm. <laughs> um, so that was one of the biggest ceremonies I probably saw was the three-month ceremony where they, like, get these little bracelets around their arms and then their feet. And then they can finally touch the ground, which is, like, everyone's so excited and happy. Um, I got to go to a couple Balinese weddings. One of them was a wedding between one of the staff members and an old volunteer, which was like crazy amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you know, the, it's definitely very different from Western culture because the ceremonies have a lot more to do with family than Mm. just you and the person you're marrying. Like I think in a couple of, one of the weddings I went to, it was, you know, there were probably 10 kids in the family that had to have this other little ceremony with, they cut a piece of your hair off. And so they had all those kids doing that ceremony within the wedding ceremony, which I was like, oh, this was kind of funky. Like, I don't know if I'd want a bunch of kids getting their ceremony in the middle of my wedding, but like the family was so happy to just be doing everything together. And yeah. and it's like so family oriented. And is it a multiple day situation? Yeah, or, it's like yeah. a three day thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where you like get up at 5 a.m. and go over and pay your respects and do like do everything and then you know the men are up the night before at they don't even go to sleep they kill the pig they roast the pig they cook the pig they make everything for for the meals and then they they aren't always at the ceremony like the next morning cuz they're sleeping off their pig cooking <laughs> <laughs> 
and then they're there the next night and all the men will stay in a corner and they'll just drink and all the women are like gossiping in the other corner and it's really funny that's so cool i i'm a big wedding person yeah um and so i feel like i would do really well in bali yeah it's (laughs) it's pretty exciting and you know the woman gets all dressed up and even the men wear makeup and Mm -hmm. it's crazy like everyone i've got these pictures of balinese weddings and they're like these big crowns and dresses. That's cool. Well, maybe we can add some of those into the show notes. So that would be really cool. Cool. And so I also want to hear about the the drama surrounding the volcano. Because this was um, fall of 2017. Yeah, it started like three weeks into me being there. Yeah. So so do you remember the name of the mountain? Uh, It's Gunung Agung, which means like basically majestic or very large mountain. Um, and it's the holiest mountain in all of Bali, which gave it a lot more of a, like a stigma, I guess, around it. And Mm. basically when it erupted last time, it was this gigantic eruption and exploded really large and thousands of people died. But there's this giant temple on the mountain. It's called the Basaki Temple and it's the biggest temple in Bali. It's called, it's the Mother Temple. So once or twice a year, they have these huge ceremonies and like everyone from Bali goes there. Wow. And I went to one and it was, you know, you can't even move because <laughs> wow. you're walking up and it's probably a week long thing. So you go one day or if you've got the next day free, you go that day. But no matter what, it's like, like walking in, I don't even know, like worse than walking on the streets of New York City. Like mm-hmm. you have to literally just shuffle with everyone. <laughs> um, but when the volcano erupted last time in 68 or 63, Basically, it's like right, the, that temple's right on the volcano. And what happened was, like, the whole volcano erupted and the temple didn't get touched, Whoa. like, at all, which was this insane, you know, like, like, holy thing. And so it became even more of a important place for everyone because, you know, hundreds and thousands, I think it was 1,600 or something like that. People had died who were living on the side of the mountain, but yet this temple like, during didn't this get past touched. eruption during like, during the the, the, the one from a one. long time ago. Okay, and then this eruption. So I was there. This was probably like my third week in, and someone was like, "Oh, ha ha ha! The volcano just went up from a level two to a level three. And we were all like, "Ha ha! What does that mean?" <laughs> and we all kind of joked about it. And there was this one girl from the Czech Republic, and she was like really scared. And we all kind of when she got really scared, and she was like, "I'm gonna go." further away from the volcano and we were staying 16 kilometers away from it which I don't even know how many miles that is but about half yeah yeah you can you can see the volcano from like your bed <laughs> yeah um and she was like oh my god I'm getting out of here so she took a week off from teaching and went a little further away to a town like an hour away mm-hmm. um and she you know, we were all like, she's crazy. And then all of a sudden we woke up in the middle of the night to like a giant earthquake. And we were like, oh my God, this is actually like a real thing. And I remember everyone was panicking. There were like a ton of people that were like, get me to the ref. There were at this point, a couple of refugee camps that they had, they had like started, but nobody was in. It was just in case something were to happen. Um, and, you know, we started talking to, to who was our, our leader and he was like, it's all going to be okay. And he took the people that were panicking, panicking to the refugee camps and everyone else. We were all like, okay, we're going to be okay. And I remember that night, like, it felt like it lasted forever because we would get back in bed and then a giant earthquake would come and then we'd be like, okay, we're not sleeping in our bunk beds. <laughs> Let's go sit um, 
outside, and I remember there were probably eight of us that just couldn't sleep, and we just sat out on our little table um, and just talked about life and things, and occasionally we'd, like, see all the lights start to shake, and we'd be like, oh, my God. (laughs) Um, And then we ended up going away for the weekend just because, and we packed an extra bag just in case it was a while before we came back, and he was like just be careful, like, like, make sure you bring extra stuff, and so we all went off, and I went with a group of, like, six people to a different island right next to it. We had planned this trip, like, far before, and it's, Mm. you know, a 20-minute boat ride, so it wasn't too bad, and when we got there, like, the night we got there, we got a call from Ketut, and he said, the volcano just got moved from a level three to a level four, and we, we were like, well, what does that mean? And we started Googling and, and everything, and it literally says, like, you Google level four volcano, and it says, will erupt in the next 24 hours. Ooh. And we were like, oh, my God. <laughs> so it was just, like, this, like, weird, rude awakening that, like, all of our kids were still there, and the staff was still there, and we were all, you know, hadn't been there for that long, so we hadn't connected with anyone on any social media, so... We, I remember everyone started looking for their kids on Facebook and Instagram, and we were like, okay, this is his mom, let's text them to see if they're still in TNR, and it was, like, just this mess of everyone trying to figure out where their kids were, and a lot of the people had evacuated and mo- gone to the, the southern touristy area, which was very safe, mm. um, just in case, yeah. and we, we could, like, see the volcano from our room on the other island, and we were like, what if we just were sitting here and we watched it erupt? And I remember calling my mom and being like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. Like, a lot of my friends were going home, and I, their parents were like, "You're get, I bought you a ticket, you're coming home. Yeah. And your mom was pretty chill. My mom it. was pretty chill. She yeah. she and my dad, I think, were obviously worried about me, but I would call them. I'd be like, I don't know. Like, this is so difficult. Do I go home? Do I, tr- like, do I just start my travels early? Do I go to Thailand now? Um and then I just kept thinking about, like, my kids were there and my the friends I had made and things like that. And then one day we got a call. This was, like, a week later. We had been, you know, all of us just in this weird haze of, like, what do we do? Mm. Um, and staying in this little hostel. And everyone around us was, like, going to parties and really fun things. And we were all just, like, these, like, negative Nancys just sitting there, <laughs> like, oh, my God, what do we do? And everyone's like, there's a volcano, ha, ha, ha. And we're like, there's a volcano, and, like, our kids are there, and our friends are there, and it was so weird. Um, and they took called and was like, you guys, the volcano, like, I've got a place you can stay. We've got a refugee camp not too far away from us if you want to come and work in the refugee camps during the day, because our school was closed. So we all went, and we were like, okay, what do we do? Do we go? Do we not go? And we all decided, like, we all sat there, and we are like, this cannot be a decision we make together. Like, this has to be something you do on your own, which was the first, like, big decision I've ever made on my own. Yeah. So I called my mom crying. She's like, well, I can tell you what to do if you want me to tell you what to do. And I was like, I think I have to figure it out. And so I hopped in the car, and I was like, I'm going. And if I hate it, and if it feels unsafe, and if I feel like I'm not supposed to be here, then I'll just turn around. Um, and I got there, and I was like, no, this is where I'm supposed to be. And And what kind of work were you doing when you were helping in the refugee camps? Um, So we did a bunch of fundraising and we raised like $4,000. So we would go to the city and buy a bunch of stuff like mattresses and food and pots and pans and bring them to the different refugee camps on the way back. There were like 100,000 people in refugee camps at this point. Um, And then we would go to the one closest to us like two times a day and just sit on the beach with the kids and try and run some games and they weren't really kids we knew which that was the crazy thing like none of them were the kids that we knew 
and all of these kids had like zero English. The kids we were teaching it, most of them had been learning English since they were little. So they had like a form of English and they'd run up and they'd be like, what's your name? Like, how old are you? Where are you from? And these kids were just like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, we would, it was just a weird feeling, but um, it was cool to be, be with them and nobody was ever like, like the, it's just not in the Balinese culture to be sad. <laughs> like everyone's just still having so much fun and and it was really cool. And then um, I remember after a while, everyone just started like going back home. Trickling like back. Yeah. Were there country officials that said it's safe again? Kind they, of thing? It was like, like the volcano had, there had been no earthquakes. We had been watching the like, I don't even know what it's called, like the scale of the volcano. And before it was like we would watch, you know, there'd be... 30 little tiny earthquakes on the volcano in a day and then it was 60 and then it was 200 and then it was 700 and then it started going back down Mm. and at that point we were like okay this is kind of good news um and we were still our place that we were staying was still not even in the evacuation zone right and there was a um a refugee camp literally right next door so i was kind of like okay if they're moving people there like it's got to be safe. And at this point, there were nine volunteers. There were 34 volunteers when I first got there, and everyone left except for nine of us. Mm. Um, and then after, I think, a week of staying in this homestay and working in the refugee camps, maybe a week and a half, um, we were like, okay, I think we're ready to go back. And we went back, and, you know, there were still some of the kids there. A lot of them were gone just for a bit, but we uh, we would go play soccer on the beach and go swimming and we repainted some of the classrooms and it was just like, it was really, really enjoyable. And I feel like that was the time when I bonded mostly with those people. Like those are the people I still keep in contact with. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the time that like actually made a huge difference. All of a sudden I was like, okay, I made my own decision. That's something I've never done before. (laughs) And I can like actually live life on my own and really be close with people and enjoy it. And I called my mom and I remember calling her and she was like, I haven't heard from you in two days. What's going on? And I was like, well, I'm at the refugee camps. <laughs> and she was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I guess you've made your decision then. You're not uh, not going. And then after that, you know, my eight weeks that I was supposed to be there was almost up. So I uh, was like, I'm going to stay for the next eight weeks. Yeah. And, and then, then that came. And then that came. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to stay for another month. And then that came. And I was like, I think I'm going to extend again. And poor Tut and Leone, who run the program, they were like, so when, what, how long do you think you're going to stay? I was like, I don't know. How long can I stay? And they're like, oh, as long as you want. But, like, just just let me know. And I'd be like, and in total, can I extend again? <laughs> you to- you to- in total stayed eight months? Total? Yeah, yeah, a little over eight months. Yeah, which is a really good amount of time. For those yeah. of you listening, it's, it's for teaching. The longer you can be in a community, the better. Definitely. Yeah. And yeah, you said it t- took four months. It took to four eat. months for me to figure it out. <laughs> so I definitely recommend that. And, like, it's just crazy. I, I met a lot of people through my time there, like, volunteers that would come for a week, two weeks, some that came for four months. Um, and it was, you know, even some of the people that came for a week would connect with the kids on this different level, and you would just know that they were meant to be there. And then mm-hmm. there were some people that came for a month and – they didn't really want to be there. And it was just really interesting to see the different kinds of people. But at the end, no matter what, the people who were leaving were like in tears as they left and like had the kids bringing them flowers and gifts. And like, it was just really cool Mm -hmm. to see. And, um, but definitely the people that I 
connected most with were the people that stayed for a long time and the people that I watched the kids connect with were there for a long time also. And we also like, like the, um, what was I going to say? Um, oh, just the kids, um, connecting with different people. So obviously they're used to change because they've got teachers that come for a week and leave. Um, and they've probably, each kid has probably had a hundred or 200 volunteers in yeah. all of their life, maybe even more. So the kids, like, like you'd think they'd be tired of it, but mm-hmm. the kids still love every single person that gets there. Like, even if you're there for a day, they'd be like, oh my God, what's your name? Where are you from? How old are you? Blah, blah, blah. And just want to like hug you and cuddle you and play games with you and braid your hair. And it was just really cool. <laughs> That's cool. And did you find that like when you were working with the kids from the refugee camps, did they re they sounded like they were still interested in you. Yeah, were they, they were, were still they as, interested. They were just But they quiet. were primed in a different way because yeah. they weren't used to people. Definitely. Like, travelers or, or yeah. international people. And I talked to, at the end of my time, I took a group of my students who were like 16, 17 years old. I took them to the south where all the touristy parts are and I, I sent them out with a mission. I was like, okay, we're on a field trip. They got to go see this really fancy mall, which, you know, not, half of them had never been there. And mm. I think four or five of them were like, um, what is this when we got to an escalator? And they were like, how do I do this? <laughs> it was like the coolest thing ever to take them on an escalator, an elevator, like show them these things. It was really cool. But um, we got to this beach and I sent them on the mission. I said, okay, you have to go interview three tourists and I want you to like ask them we had created questions together as a class and they went out and I thought you know most of them I was like oh no they're probably gonna ask one person all the questions and then be done and 15 minutes later all my kids came some of them came back and they're like okay uh we've interviewed six people can we interview more <laughs> and I was like yeah of course you can and so they just kept going and going and going and I was talking to the manager of this restaurant that had kind of noticed what was going on and he was like like, you've got kids from Yayasan Wadiya Sari? And I was like, yeah, we do. They, like, these are them. And he was like, well, we used to get, like, all the kids in Bali go on a, like, a, they call it an internship training when they get, when they turn, like, 17. They go for six months and they work somewhere. And he said, every kid I've ever met from there who's been through that program, through the volunteer in Bali program with the teachers, like, they just have this sense of confidence. And their their English is better and they're, like, like, even the kids whose English is good that learn it in school. Like, the kids from our school who get to communicate and interact with the volunteers just have this, like, just, it just is easy for them to want to talk to volu- to, to white people or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, they're, they're just happy to do it, which I was totally experiencing as my kids were like, can I interview more and more and more and more? I was like, yeah, just keep going. That's great. Well, it sounds like it's not only that they can speak English, but also there's an intellectual curiosity and a yeah. comfort with, um, Something you know, just different. communication in general, yeah. which is such a great skill to have no matter what they end up doing, but Definitely. especially in Bali, which has such a tourism culture yeah. and a lot of the pathways to economic empowerment mm-hmm. or through the tourism culture so and tourism industry so that's that's an important skill um very cool so you did end up going to thailand right i did end up going to so thailand. tell me a little bit about like the travel portion of your gap <laughs> so time so i after six months of being in bali i had extended my visa enough times that i had to leave the country <laughs> they were like okay you've been here for six months if you don't leave you will be 
deported or whatever it is. <laughs> um, and so... And that's very common um, to have <laughs> yeah. to leave the country to renew visas in certain, especially Southeast Asia. Yeah. That's a very common thing to do. I think if you have a tourist visa in Bali, it's like 30 days and then you have to leave the country. But literally you could fly to Singapore, which is an hour long, two hour long flight, stay in the airport and then just fly back. And yeah. that counts as leaving the country. So. Right. I decided, though, after six months, I was like, I should do something. And I was talking to my mom, and I was like, this is maybe the time that it's time for me to leave and start traveling. Um, and then I had reached this point where I was like, I don't know if I really want to be a backpacker. I'd seen all these, like, tourist backpackers in the south of Bali, which is the tourist area, and they were just not... There's just a difference between, like, backpacking and being in a place and kind of thinking that it's yours and that... Like, you're going to have the time of your life there. And then there's another part where you're, like, staying for a longer time. And mm. you're learning about the culture. And you are realizing that you are a guest in their place. Right. And I think a lot of backpackers struggle with that. And, like, I know a lot of really cool backpackers also who love to learn about the culture and et cetera, et cetera. But I was like, I don't know if I'm ready. So my mom was like, go for two weeks. And if you love it, stay. And if you hate it, don't stay. And so... I ended up going to Thailand, and, and I really loved it. Like, Thailand's beautiful, and we went to... I was with one of my friends who also had to extend his visa. Um, and we went to some really cool places, and I it felt good to be out and trying something new. But I was also so glad I was with someone else, so we could, like, stay in a homestay instead of a hostel. Mm. And um, I would pass all of, like, you know, the drunk backpacker Australian guys. And I was <laughs> like, oh, my God, what is this? this just looks awful. <laughs> I kept telling people, I was like, I think I'm a grandma now. I don't want to do anything. Um, well, I think that there's but, a difference between, like, being a grandma traveler and kind of having your eyes open yeah. to, like, how to move through a place Definitely. In, in, a, in an ethical way and in a way that's, like, appreciative of the culture. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. that was what I wanted to learn about was I didn't want to, like, see the cool clubs I wanted to go to the temples and I didn't want to just like be a tourist looking in at the temples it's a totally different thing to be like with your your cultural family or whatever it is um and actually go through the prayers with them or whatever it is and yeah and I had learned that and I had seen that and I was like I don't know I told my mom I was like I don't know if I'm ever gonna be able to travel again (laughs) without like staying in a place for a long time like it's just so different to be a tourist and to be like a a tourist who's who's connecting with the culture and yeah. and it's or I liked how you said that there's kind of a difference between a tourist and a guest. Yeah, a tourist that, and a guest. I, that's a yeah. cool distinction to make. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, because if you're a guest, you're just kind of you're, you're like you're there and and you're doing a stuff and you're actually paying attention. Yeah. And then you know the other scale is that you're there and you're like okay, I need you to do this and I'm gonna leave my trash here and it doesn't really matter because. This is just a place that I'm, I am here for a moving minute. through. Yeah, yeah I'm moving through. Definitely. So, okay. So eight months, eight months hence from the start of your gap year, you came home. Uh, I always like to ask people about reentry because that kind of coming home process is, it's always difficult, but everybody yeah. kind of deals with it differently. So what were kind of some of the feelings and emotions that you started feeling on your way on, on your on reentry and how did you find ways to deal with it? Um, so for me, leaving was the hardest part of being there. <laughs> um, and I remember the night that I, uh, the night that I left, everyone, like my whole fam, my whole new Balinese family had come to my room and we were all like sitting out there and just crying. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
And I was like, how am I going to go home? Like, how do I do this? And I got into the airport and I was still a mess, like still crying. Um, and then when I got home, I have, I've got a six-year-old sister. So she was there and a 13-year-old sister. And they were both there at the airport to pick me up with my mom and my stepdad. And, and that was like really nice to be home to my family, which I think you forget about because there's always this peace when you're gone that like you are traveling and you're doing something new and you're experiencing new things and you're making new friends and like for me I made this whole new family but I forgot that like my family's at home and they're still doing the same thing every day just minus one person (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is a little more difficult I think so they like just seeing them be so happy to see me again I was like oh okay this is like why I came back um but it was still so hard like I still am struggling yeah I I just want to go back Um, (laughs) but we'll talk about wins because that's yeah that's a really great way one of the things that I always tell students when they return from their gap year is find a link to the experience that was the most meaningful to you and you have you found that on your own so So about halfway through my time there I started talking to Katut who was our our leader he runs the program and he um, had mentioned to me this program called WINS, and it's called the WINS Foundation. It's basically a program that finds sponsors for the students in the school I was teaching in, and then the other programs throughout Bali. So the one in the hills, the other one in the sea, um, the other one in Ubud, and the special needs program. Um, and they basically find people to donate a little bit of money every month, or if you want to do it annually, or whatever it is. They basically support a kid in going to public school because the Indonesian public school system is just really messed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's really expensive and a lot of the kids can't afford it. So I think they they uh, reach a point where they just stop going and they get a job or whatever it is. Um, and it kind of leads them to live this life thinking that forever they're going to be like, that's the best they can do is do a little bit of school and get a job, probably being a fisherman or selling the fish in the market or whatever it is. Like, it just really limits their options and stuff. And so we basically wins help support those kids so they can get an education. It also supports them and funds the the elementary or the after school program that I was teaching at. So it's connected. It helps build the buildings and supply um, books and help pay some of the staff members to work in the different schools, which is really cool because it allows the kids to have access to that, um, like, English learning, which is not that present in a lot of other Indonesian or a lot of other Balinese schools and things like that. So we basically, then the kids also get to learn a lot of computer skills. We've supplied computers in almost all the schools, which is awesome. Um, and Katut was like, so the leader of the U.S. branch of WINS is, he's, wants to retire, and him and his wife were running it, they've been running it for eight years, and they were like, okay, I think we're kinda need to, like, phase out, um, they're running a couple other nonprofits, and, and they're like, we kinda need something, something new and fresh, and so Katut was like, do you know of anyone? And I was like... I mean, I could ask around, and he was like, do you want to do it? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I guess, and I started looking into it, and and it's really awesome, and so me and one of the other volunteers, we both started working on it, um, and basically, since I've been home, that's like, when I've got free time, I'll go in and work on my wins things, um, which is really cool, because, you know, a picture will pop up of a kid with a new sponsor, and it's Rista who was in my class or like Mm -hmm. whoever it is and it's always just like oh 
That's so cool. Or the kids email their sponsors once um once or twice a month, and they all have to CC them through me. Oh, and so cool. I read them all, and I'm like, um, someone asked me if they wanted me to stop if I wanted them to stop CCing me and I was like no like I want to hear what this kid says to their sponsor like it's so cute yeah and we'll also link to wins in the show notes so if you're interested in sponsoring a child for their education we'd love to link you up to that too because that's a really good cause it is for sure and it's really rewarding I think especially because you get to communicate with the kids and there's a lot of programs out there like adopt a child and stuff that that don't you don't know where all the money is going right <laughs> and ours is like a hundred percent of the funds go directly to the kid they create like a basically a bank account and they can withdraw the money after this so if they purchase 10 new books and a new pair of shoes they take out that money for that month or if they just buy like a new i don't know they needed gas for their scooter to get to school that's the money that they'll take out that month so they basically can depending on how they will spend their money, it teaches them how to save their money for their future. Because if they have mm. extra when they graduate, they can use that towards university. And mm. we actually have gotten, I think, 50 kids through university with wow. sponsors, which is amazing because those are 50 kids that probably would not have gone to school if we didn't get, like, if they weren't being helped in a way. Right. Um, That's great. And, yeah, it's pretty cool. Very cool. And I love being connected because I get to still see all of all of my little kids and and I still, you know, call the Winds Indonesia who run it. They're basically, you know, my sisters now. (laughs) So when I call them, it's like we're on a business call, but then we're like, love you. Bye. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. So I think I want to end this interview with um, popcorn style questions, which is basically just some rapid fire questions about your experience, especially some of the like quick things that I wanted to hit before the end of the interview. So um, I'm going to shoot them at you and you okay. just kind of give a short Whatever. and pithy response cool. to, to them. Okay, so um, what is your biggest tip for someone considering a gap year? Mm, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's definitely worth it. And just make sure you know what you're getting into and also don't plan too much because plans change. <laughs> Good advice. What's your number one piece of gear to have while you're traveling? Oh, boy. Definitely bring your passport. (laughs) 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 But probably the most useful thing for me was, like, um, I don't know. There's so many things. I I loved my little packing cubes that I put Mm. all my clothes in. Because when I went away for a weekend, I would just take one little packing cube and fill it with everything. Good idea. Yeah, um, I love I love packing cubes. And you yeah. know, uh, my tip that's related to packing cubes is if you know you're taking a gap year, uh, have your parents save all of their like the bags that curtains come in mm, or bedding. Yeah, that's perfect. Because they look and they're they look and the operate exact exactly thing. like packing cubes, and they're free. So yeah. um, so start saving now. Start saving your also, <laughs> containers. <yeah. laughs> also bring toilet paper. In certain areas, in the certain world, areas, you definitely need toilet yes, paper. It's always a good thing to have in your bag yeah. if you're traveling in uh, or like squat toilet wet, territory. Yep, squat toilet territory is, <laughs> is a thing. <laughs> um, what is your biggest takeaway from your gap time? Um, mm, I think probably just that I can do what I want and that I have like figured out who I am and what I like to do and right. that. You know, sometimes you just have to step out of where you are and take a look at something else and meet some new people and see some new perspectives. And all of a sudden you can start to change. Like, 
before I left, I was the kind of person that was like, mom, what do I wear today? And what do I eat for dinner? And now I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this and this and this and do it because I like it. Mm -hmm. Not because it is something that somebody told me to do or not because I'm like being pressured into it. So it's definitely made me a better person. Yeah. (laughs) And one of the things that you've told me before too, is that you kind of, you discovered on your gap time that you want to be an educator. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely, that was a big piece, (laughs) a big takeaway also. That's a big takeaway. Um, and also really great, I guess it's it's a great point to make for people who are wondering if their gap time may lead to some answers about what they want yeah. to do after. Yeah, if you don't know what you want to do, try a bunch of different things until you figure out what you want to do. Yeah. But don't just like pick something because it seems easy or because someone's telling you that that's the right move. You got to like try it and right. then you'll really figure it out. Like all my life, people have told me that I should become a teacher and I was like, yeah, I don't know. And then I taught and obviously I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Hence, staying eight months. So I, uh, I yeah, I came back and I was like, okay, I'm going to be a teacher. I switched over my major and, I mean, it's still liberal studies, which is pretty easy to change up, but pretty positive. I'd love to be a teacher. Yeah. Because I really, really enjoy it. (laughs) Well, and speaking of which, last question, because you're going to be starting school next month in California. Yeah. What are you most excited for for college? Um, hmm. That's a hard one. I think I'm really excited to be in a different place again, which is, you know, good and bad. I'll miss my family, obviously, again, but everyone's always like, you know, you're so far. You're in California. I live in Vermont. So that's a very, very far leap. But I'm like, I just spent a year across the country, (laughs) like or across the world, literally on the opposite side of the globe. Um, So it's pretty still pretty close to family. And it'll be nice to have some difference. I'm also excited to join clubs and do things, and and I found an Indonesian club already, so oh, I'm going to join so that and try, oh, and, try cool. and practice my Indonesian, because that's a skill I would like to keep. Nice. <laughs> it's a useless skill, but it's fun. Well, and, it's, I mean, clearly there's a, a critical mass of people at your future yeah. school that speak Indonesian, <laughs> which is very yeah. cool. Yeah, it was crazy. I like started looking into it, and it turns out like 90 or 70 or 90 percent of the... the um, International, Kid, students? international students are from Indonesia. And oh, I was like, well, cool. that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> that's meant to be. Oh my gosh, that's so neat. So, yeah. Cool. Well, Lily, thank you so much for sharing your story. This was great. <clears throat> Indeed. And for the listeners out there, just as a reminder, you can find Gap Year Radio on the internet, at on Instagram, on Facebook, at Gap Year Radio. You can also email questions or your own Gap Year story to gapyearradio at gmail.com. And Lily, our uh, t- sign off is saying goodbye in another language. So I think that if you would oh. do the honors of saying <laughs> thank you and goodbye in Indonesian, oh, that yeah, would be great. I'm on it. How do you say it? Terima kasih, dada. <laughs> so dada is goodbye. Dada is goodbye. Oh, it's that's, like that's good. It's like the cute kid version. I think you could say like selamat jalan, which is like safe, safe future, safe travels. But nice. dada is like see ya. Well, that's bye. easy enough. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening and dada. Dada. Ha, ha, ha.